2: This podcast is a Royfield brown production. Find others on iTunes.
1: Alright, yep, yep. yeah, I'm ready for this. In an uncertain
3: world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the up the great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to both. Today we speak to podcaster A. Ron Hubbard about the TV smash, The Walking Dead, and why we're both going after it. Producer and DJ Adam Gibbons, aka Lack Afro, produced the 70 sounding breakbeat monster The Outsider in 2007 for his debut album Press On. Hey Ron, I don't know about you but I used to love The Walking Dead but I now think this show is a bit of a a zombie in and of itself. Is The Walking Dead a Walking Dead?
0: It does seem a little past its prime, doesn't it? There might be some flies buzzing around its head. You know, it's interesting because I started watching The Walking Dead uh, because my partner, Jim, uh, was a big he's a big zombie fan and he's Mm -hmm. a big fan of Kirkman's original comics. And it was coming out. And I'm like this, this comic book is kind of a meditation on grief and loss and trauma. I think that would be really interesting. There's 10, 12 million people watching it. But my problem with The Walking Dead is it's never as good as it should have been. You know what I'm saying? Like before Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings came out, people like, oh, fantasy, that's never going to take off. And then someone treats it in an adult, mature way. And it's like, oh, this is just like any other fiction. It can teach us things about ourselves. And I'm always angry that The Walking Dead isn't like Game of Thrones for zombies. It's not getting Emmy nominations. It's not having people, you know, talk as much about it in terms of the. Quality and feel like it's never quite lived up to its potential. It's still fun in the margins, and I certainly have as much fun kind of poking poking fun at it as I do taking it seriously. But it just it just never quite got to its full potential. I don't think. Do you
3: think though that part of the issue is it's a hard comparison to put it up against Game of Thrones because number one we have a visual cue with The Walking Dead. There are the comics, so you right. have a very fixed idea of what. Re- rhymes actually looks like but then also right. game of thrones is a sprawling universe isn't it apart from just the kind of slightly fantastical nature of that world you do get the sense of, of of epic with it whereas the walking dead's always been pretty small in in that regard you know it is this ragtag bobtail traveling band of um of people struggling throughout the, the half georgia winter
0: that's true you're right it's not like i don't think you'd ever have the political overtones um you know because i think that's what really like game of thrones is interesting because it casts a wide net like mm-hmm. um, it really buries the lead of the dragons and the shadow babies and all that until like people that wouldn't traditionally be in a fantasy are hooked into the political machinations and intrigue but having said that i think what is the essential quality of the human spirit if the if the society collapsed, what would a society look like that formed afterwards? Would we go back to barbarism and feudalism, uh, or would we kind of try like we've tasted democracy and more high minded ideals? Would we try to get back that? Which which of those sides would win? I think those are really interesting and thought provoking and philosophical questions uh, as well. But you know, there goes back to this the 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 other issue with the Walking Dead is they seem very reticent to advance their own plot. And I I kind of understood that in, in, you know, when it's like season four and five and they don't want to spend too much budget on new sets and whatnot. And also they don't want to catch up to the comics, perhaps. But, you know, in this last season, and I know you've you, you listened to our show, it's been something I've been thinking a lot of is like, how much longer can you get Andrew Lincoln to keep coming back? I mean, how much longer can you keep him and Norman Reedus under contract? it's going to be an awkward situation when you get to year 10 and you still have 10 years of your story left to go. But the guy who plays Rick Grimes no longer wants to be a part of it. Mm. Uh, And then can this show survive a recasting? Can it survive a complete pivot into some other, I mean, are they going to find a way to satisfy factorally tie up the story of Rick and Carl? Like I, I don't know. Those are the, certainly the challenges I think, you know, not just a softening enthusiasm from the fan base, but also just real, Storytelling and and time problems that they're going to be dealing with shortly.
3: Well, in terms of the, the the time problem, I thought one of the clever things they've actually did with the comic, which I don't really read anymore, was the fact that there's been a big time jump in the comic, hasn't there? So they've it's... gone like three years ahead, which I thought was very smart in terms of the TV show because then it gives them total carte blanche to do whatever the heck they want to do, as long as they can then mesh it back eventually to the comics but they can tell a a lot of stories but the thing which is really and and you're right i think it's right and proper for you to constantly bring up kind of game of thrones because the thing is about that you are constantly surprised with the with the twists and the turns because they break traditional um, narrative forms whereas What they don't do in The Walking Dead is that. So you have this scene um, in the season finale whereby you know that Carl is not going to get it from Negan with Lucille. You know it's not going to happen. And then you have um, Shiva, the tiger, just kind of jumping out of nowhere Mm -hmm. uh, to to, to rescue Carl from that situation. But instead of you being, um, instead of feeling dramatic, it felt cheesy. There is a certain lack of cinematographic prowess in terms of telling the story at dramatic terms, which I think The Walking Dead suffers from. It feels yeah. that it goes down tropey old roads in a way that um, Game of Thrones definitely doesn't.
0: Yeah, and almost, a, and and you know, other shows um, like I think Breaking Bad. I never thought in the middle of season three that Walter White would die, right? But mm-hmm. they still somehow put him in uh, situations where, you're like, holy cow, he might. I mean, like, y- y- you simultaneously could reject the as, like, well, he's the star of the show. There's no way he can die. But also, they made it seem the threat so real and and the obstacle so in, in, insurmountable, whereas. The Walking Dead, it does leave a little bit of that, lose a little bit of that gravitas. And I think, you know, if we're going to talk about the, the the third problem is this goes back to maybe the inexperience or um, competence of the writers. They don't do a very good job of really hitting character moments. Mm. Uh, the, in fact, they prefer, it seems to me, and this finale kind of highlighted this, we are going to kill off a character so uh, we're going to sit at the typewriter and tell you why this sh- you should care about it. Well, you've already lost the battle. Um, you've had you know two and a half seasons to make me care about this character and how they felt about this other character and how they feel about the group as a whole. And if you take ninety minutes to show me in spotlights that I've never seen before why this should be especially weighty, I, that's just not as effective as if you know you can kind of see this train. You know, coming down the pike and it's going to hit this other one, and you can see it coming, and there's that tension, right? There, there's yeah. no there's no tension if if uh, the, the the tension would have to come from seasons of character development with with Sasha and what she means to the group and what she meant to Abraham and what Abraham's last words to her and those should be echoing in her ears as she's doing all these things in the season. And they're not, right? They just come down to the last ninety minutes. And I was just going to tell you why this is important. A better show would have put these moments. Throughout the season. So you would, you know, pay attention and and have this certain feeling going into this episode. It's the difference between a master painting a painting and someone painting by numbers. Paint by numbers can look pretty good. But if someone t- you say, oh, my God, did you paint this? and Like, oh, yes, it's a paint by numbers. You're immediately less impressed. It's immediately less impressive to tie all the bows together in a single episode that you need to appreciate it than it is to develop those gradually over a season or two. And that's something that really good shows, The Wire, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, excel in and something that The Walking Dead still, you know, Scott Gimple, the showrunner now, has got four years of experience on his belt, still something they struggle with.
3: So it's safe to say that um, Game of Thrones, The Wire Have made the heights in uh, in kind of TV drama, Mm -hmm. whereas uh, The Walking Dead hasn't, which is a very sloppy uh, pivot for me to talk about your musical choice, which is made. I I was actually
0: very impressed. I I, I (laughs) speaking of seeing the the train coming down the station, like wow, I was like, oh, he's 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 going to do a professional transition here. (laughs) Take note, everyone.
3: (laughs) Tell us why you like this piece of music. It's Murakami by Maiden Heights.
0: So I don't feel, feel like I have very good musical taste. I feel like I've had I've, I've made friends with people that have an, uh, impeccable musical taste. And then uh, my wife says she's DJs for me whenever we're on a long car trip. She'll just mm. get, you know, Spotify and she starts playing stuff. And like, you know, some stuff is good and some stuff is bad and some stuff. I'm just like, wait, hold the phone. What is this? And when the ba- when that kind of bass drops uh, in this song, that was one of those moments where like I've got to really you rewind this. I want to hear the whole thing. I like it because first of all, it's got that visceral where they lure you in with this this girl who's got this this sing song voice and she's talking mournfully about. Um, it's, it's if you if you don't know, it's it's Murakami is uh, the name of a very famous Japanese uh, writer. And she's talking about her relationship with his works, that she's like this, how has this guy got into my head? How is he telling these works of fiction that seem so hyper real and so, so relevant to my own life experience? And it's, it's, it's blowing my mind. It's almost like this guy is typing, looking into my brain. And they take that juxtaposition of, you know, her kind of like thoughtful plaintive singing with these, this really ballsy, brassy trumpet blasts and bass drops and, this song kind of makes me want to get up and put my pants on and go outside in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, like really attack the day as a person who loves fiction and its effect on me. Like I, I definitely felt that way when I would read like or the first time I read George Orwell's 1984. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is exactly what it feels like. And he's nailing my life experience or. When I watch HBO's The Leftovers, like, wow, this is so important. It speaks to me so eloquently. So I kind of like I like it for both the visceral effect and the kind of thoughtful, more philosophical side of it.
1: Música mm.
2: and playing tricks on me.
3: You know what? I... Absolutely loved that, and in all of my podcasts, less so with this. um, What I try and do is create an audio scape. It's definitely something which I did in Audio Lounge or Ten American Presidents or How Jamaica Conquered the World. And what I fully appreciate is using the digital kind of canvas as a painting canvas and literally throwing the, the kitchen sink at it. And the cinematic feel of that was absolutely right up my alleyway. And I knew nothing about uh, Made in Heights and it's one of the kind of many benefits uh, of kind of doing uh, Friday 15 that, you know, you, you, not, you not only speak to, uh, speak to new friends, so to speak, without wanting to sound t- too cheesy, but you discover new music and I've definitely discovered um, a group. Uh, a couple of artists who I absolutely enjoy. And when you gave me that link, I, you know, subsequent to that, you know, I've spotified the hell out of it, you know. I've, I've gone through it and uh top marks to you sir. But this is one of the things about you which which I find absolutely interesting and intriguing. Intriguing is the word because I'm going to display a certain amount of transatlantic british bias, all right? <laughs> and bear with me. To us Brits, Americans that have your southern accent we assign a certain lack of intellectual rigor as purely as a reflective position right sure and you're one smart cookie (laughs) thank you (laughs) um how'd you get to be so clever sir
0: well genes uh both my parents <laughs> I think are, are are clever um I don't know like we always had books lying around and you know encyclopedias like the old like you know before the internet you actually had facts and books and I remember that I even at a young age I would if I got bored, I would creep over to the bookshelf and just grab a random encyclopedia. We had the World Book Encyclopedia, and I would just start reading, you know, like if I might browse around for dinosaurs or lasers or space travel. But, like you know, I would kind of like, you know, flip through and see what interests me. And I've kind of been an enthusiast all my life. Like I, I describe my knowledge as a mile wide and an inch deep because uh, the other thing I like doing is um, when I meet someone new. I search for common ground. Like I try to find what they're passionate about, and I've usually, like, if, if, if I if I talk to someone long enough, I can find something that I have a little bit of experience with. Um, uh, because I've had this wide ranging career and like this like varied interest, and then you know I'll find a so- topic like maybe it's sailing or maybe it's geological surveying or maybe it's spelunking or maybe it's firearms or whatever, and they'll start talking and get passionate about it and then i'm just like yes let me soak up all of your knowledge because um, that's my goal in i guess in in daily life is to, to 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 just kind of like learn new things like it's 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 much more rewarding and i think this is something that socrates was always going on about it's it's much more rewarding to be found wrong and to correct one's knowledge a little bit about the universe than it is to be proven right about something Like being proven right, there's no gain to yourself. Being proven wrong is is of of tremendous value.
3: Uh, Absolutely. When when you mention Socrates, of course, you mean the Brazilian footballer that played in the (laughs) 1970s World Cup winning football team.
0: So that's the game that you play with the the pig skin it's like uh, the oblate spheroid it's not the uh, it's, it's you're not talking about soccer are you
3: No what I'm talking <laughs> about is, is football the the game which is played uh-huh. with a spherical object a ball and which is manipulated primarily by the
0: foot or the feet Right football, right I have heard that. That that so, Soccer's getting kind of big in the states kind of like what Gandhi says first they ignore you then they laugh at you and then you win and I feel it that way about soccer's kind of increasing cultural relevance in America. When I was growing up, you know, soccer was just ignored. Everyone knew about Pele, I suppose, and but no one really paid attention. And but now, like you know, after a couple of competitive World Cups and you know, uh, professional soccer taking uh, more of a lead, and also I think Americans disenfranchisement with our big three, like. You know, there's a little bit of uh, disgust at how baseball and football and the the, the corruption involved that, like, you know, soccer's sneaking in the back door. Football, rather. Thank you. Well, number one, it is the world's most beautiful but
3: simple sport, which means the average man at at an average size can can play it. That is one of the key reasons why every country on the planet plays this game. Whereas with basketball... You need to be a freak of nature to be able to play it to any, you know, competent standard. Ditto American football, with the exception of maybe the position of the quarterback. He's not a, right. a physical freak. But right. it, it's a conversation, uh, Mr. Aaron, which we're probably going to have to have on another Friday 15. Because I can talk be Jesus out, out of the reason why football is the most beautiful, egalitarian sport.
0: And you see brand. what I've done. See what I've done, ladies and gentlemen. I've identified uh, the the host' passion, and I am now going to absorb all of his his uh, his uh, football knowledge. And the next time, I I, <laughs> I just keep 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 the ball rolling. Yeah, tell me tell me more. Tell me more. But
3: I will tell you more after um, we quickly wrap this up by saying, should we bother with the next season of The Walking Dead?
0: So I've frequently said on my show that I am invested in the story of, of Rick and Carl. And like, I've always seen this as being, um, and this is something Kirkman said that, uh, you know, that he's got this kind of like arc where eventually the pat, this is really the story of Carl and the torch will be passed. And I'm very interested in father son relationships. You know, I'm a, I'm a, a father of a son myself. And that's the draw for me. I care a lot about Rick and Carl, and to the extent that they both survive, I will continue to be watching. And Bald Move will be there to uh, poke gentle fun at the show. And just very
3: lastly, uh, we've talked about this fantastic podcast. What's the name of the podcast and where can people catch up with it?
0: The Watching Dead. And you can find it at BaldMove.com with all of our other. Uh, we're about to start up with The uh, the Leftovers, Better Call Saul and Fargo. It's all at BaldMove.com.
3: Hey Ron, thank you for letting me speak to a podcasting hero of mine.
0: Oh well, thank you. That's I'm I'm blushing, and I it was a lot of fun. Maybe the next time you get interested in a television show, we can reconvene. Absolutely.
1: E aí
3: Hatred jazz funk and proto-rap, Gil Scott Heron's 1971 album, Pieces of a Man, has had an outsized influence on subsequent dance and hip-hop. Here is home is where the hatred is. Shaky Shaky is a Latin-infused folk stomper from Tom Z. Born Antonio José Santana Martins, Tom was influential in the Tropicana movement of the 1960s in Brazil before his subsequent rediscovery by The Talking Heads' David Byrne. If you enjoyed this week's show, don't forget you can follow the show's progress on Facebook by simply typing in Friday 15. You can also find us on Twitter where you can follow me, where I'm at Royfield, now, every Thursday, you can jump onto Twitter and tweet me and nominate a song for me to put into this week's Friday 15. iTunes reviews, folks, are extremely important. They're the lifeblood of any podcast. Please go onto iTunes and write us a, a glowing review. And don't forget, finally, you can email me from royfield
0: R O I F I E L D at Gmail.
3: See you all again in seven days time for more good music and great conversation.